Well, I'm excited to be here. Frankly, I'm excited to be anywhere where I don't have to apologize for my accent. <laughs> you can laugh all you want to. Answers in Genesis sends me all over the world. Two years ago, I found myself in Rochester, New York. They thought Gomer Pyle had come to town. <laughs> they said, did you say ain't? Yeah, but I ain't going to say it no more. I reckon I did. I mean, they, I could have told them evolution was good. They didn't case wanted to hear me talk. But I really have enjoyed being here. I've enjoyed the, set, uh, the break where I get really start to, uh, start to talk to people and get to know them, start to answer questions. And I pre uh, particularly appreciate my brother here. He, he had such a wonderful closing to the, uh, to the first session. He came up after I got done and he did his announcement. He said, well, Dr. Mitchell is going to come back and do another session. And he's going to say exactly the same thing he said before. So we need to pray for those folks. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I think I know what he meant, I hope. Should a Christian in this modern age actually care about the book of Genesis? In our highly, you know, technological, modern scientific society, should we actually care about the book of Genesis? I mean, obviously I say yes because I work with a ministry called Answers in Genesis. We think it's foundational. It's very important. And if we're going to have a session focusing on the book of Genesis, the logical place to start would be First Chronicles. And it's okay to laugh. I'm having a good time. If you're not, it's on you. Okay, I can't help you. And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. I submit in this day and age, the church no longer has understanding of the times. Now, when I say church, I mean church in the global sense. I don't mean any particular. Certainly, I praise God for churches like this who boldly and publicly stand on the authority of the Word of God. But I will add this, you're in the minority. The church that I attended when I was a teenager, the church where I was baptized when I was 17, the church where I served as deacon for several years has said publicly, Tommy is not welcome to come speak here because we don't want to hear anything about what they call that nonsense. You know what the nonsense is that I preach and teach? This word's true from the very first verse. Now, why would a church care about something like that, right? At the root of the whole mischief of these last days lies disbelief in the Bible as the Word of God. This is the fundamental error. Folks, I teach and preach all over the world, and I will tell you this. The church has lost its grip on the authority of Scripture. Psalm 11.3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know that every major doctrine in Christianity directly or indirectly finds its way back to the book of Genesis? If you want to understand sin, where do you have to start? Okay, these are interactive sessions. You get the easy questions, I'll do the hard ones. I'll do the carbon 14 and all the, you get the easy ones. If I ask a question, if you say yes or Genesis, you've got 95% of them, okay? And there will be the occasional trick question, look at the slide, these are not hard. And if you have to go, You've overthought it. Your first impulse is generally right. So let's try this again. If you want to understand sin, you have to start where? Genesis. Let me show you how this works. Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What? Jesus died for our sins. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. No, no, no. We're all sinners. Don't you get it? Hey, are you not listening? I'm a good person. No, we're all sinners. No, let me say it again. I'm a good person. You ever had that kind of conversation with people? I go round and round with people about stuff like that. You know what the problem is? The people out in the world, they actually think they're good. Charles Darwin wrote about that. He says as evolution progresses, man's going to reach closer and closer to what he calls perfection. And folks, there is a source of authority in the world to convince people they're good. You know what that source of authority is? eBay. Have you ever shopped on eBay? Boy, I bought some priceless treasures on eBay. If you go to eBay's policy page, it says this. We believe people are basically good. Now, I don't know who else is shopping on eBay, but the people I know that shop on eBay are wretched sinners in need of a Savior, you know, particularly the one I see in the mirror every day. But if people out in the world think they're good, how do you convince them they're sinners in need of a Savior? You have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the foundation. You have to go back to Genesis. 
And I'm going to ask you a question which, at least in our day and age, seems to be quite baffling to most people. Certainly our legislators and our academics and our intellectuals. But I honestly believe if you'd asked me this question when I was in the second grade, I would have gotten it right. Here's the question. What is marriage? One man, one woman for life. Would you accept that? Where do we get that idea? But you can't use Genesis. You see, that's what most churches will tell you. Genesis is myth, fable, fairy tale. We now know enough to know what God meant as opposed to what he plainly said. Which, by the way, folks, is the definition of arrogance. God, I know what you directly tell me in your word, but I'm now smart enough to know what you meant. And that's a very dangerous thing to do. Let me give you an example. I fly home Tuesday. My wife, hopefully, will pick me up at the airport. We'll go home and we'll sit down and she'll say, how was the event, honey? And we'll be talking. And let's just say she looks at me and says, Tommy, whatever. She tells me something. Then I say, honey, I know what you just said, but this is what you meant. Guys, you, you with me here? You know where this is headed. This is not going to be good. A, my wife speaks to me. B, I then reinterpret what my wife just said. There is no scenario where C works out in my favor, okay? This is going to have a bad outcome. And we can kind of chuckle and go, ha, ha, ha. But we do that to our spouse. It's one thing when you do it to the creator God of the universe. It's another thing entirely. There's a disconnect. Most churches will tell you we can now reinterpret Genesis. If we can reinterpret Genesis, we can reinterpret marriage. I asked this question at a church a couple months ago. I said, what is marriage? guy on the front row said, union of two people. You know who gave me that answer? Pastor. Here's a question. Why do we wear clothes? I'm a doctor. I know why people need to wear clothes. <laughs> I don't have to be convinced we live in a fallen, cursed world. I get it. God gave us clothing as a covering for sin. What about the seven-day week? What about the effects of the curse? Here's one, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. Who's the last Adam? Jesus. There's a last of something. Doesn't make sense. There's a first of something. You read about the first Adam where? See, it all kind of fits together. Let me show you how this works. You want to truly understand sin, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the foundation. God created everything in how long? Six days, six ordinary 24-hour days. Looked at his creation and said it was what? See, y'all even, that, that's one of those trick questions. It's right there. You picked up on that. It's very good. When God says something's very good, how good is it? It's very good. In this perfect, very good paradise, what did God give man and the animals to eat? Plants. Genesis 1, 29 and 30. And God said, behold, I've given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. To every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I've given every green herb for meat. And it was so. In the beginning, man and the animals were vegetarian. What did that mean? I mean, Adam and Eve didn't have a barbecue. T-Rex didn't try to eat Adam and Eve. The lion didn't eat the lamb. In this perfect, very good paradise, people didn't kill animals for food. Animals didn't rip each other up for food. In the beginning, plants only. Why is that important? It's very important. There's no animal death in the garden. In this perfect, very good paradise, there's no animal death. Now, having said that, do I promote a vegetarian lifestyle? No, thank you. I do not. Would you like proof? <laughs> Folks in the back kind of getting that full view. Any meal that does not involve ketchup and or A1 sauce, there's just no point to the exercise. Okay, that's just a waste of time. Do not bring me a plate of grass and call it food. Salad is not food. Salad means if you eat this, I will then bring you food. You know, let's stay right here. Food will show up in a minute. It's like a placeholder. I'm going to show you the most important verse in Scripture. This is my life verse. Genesis 9-3. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb I've given you all things. I thank God for Genesis 9-3. But you see, it's not till after the flood we're given the biblical okay to eat meat. In the beginning, plants only. Now, in this perfect, very good paradise, is God still in control? Is he still in authority? 
Sure he is. If he's an authority, are there rules? Yeah, you know, be fruitful and multiply. There were things they were supposed to do, but there was a don't. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt what? How serious is our sin in the face of a holy, righteous God? It makes us worthy of what? Death. This is the worst day in human history. This is where God's perfect paradise is broken. Who broke it? We did. They were the perfect representatives of humankind. They made the same choice we would have made. God, we don't like your rule. We don't like your authority. We want to live the way we want to live. You know what God said? Fine. But there's a consequence to that choice. Death is here. This perfect creation is now broken. Now Adam and Eve have a huge problem. In that sinful state, can they have fellowship with a holy, righteous God? Nope. Is there anything of their own hands they can do to restore that fellowship? Did they try? Was this adequate? No. Was this comfortable? No. Was this poison ivy? I say no, because to this point, nobody's given me a reason there would have been poison ivy in the garden. But nonetheless, we know this was not adequate. How do we know that? Hebrews 9.22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. What had to happen? Sacrifice. Genesis 3.21. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. How do you get coats of skin? You have to have a dead animal or a very cooperative animal. There is no third choice. Adam and Eve clothed with coats of skin, the first animal sacrifice. Why are we sinners in need of a Savior? I know precisely where to go for that answer. You have to go back to the foundation. You have to go back to Genesis. So, Tommy, hang on a second here. All those letters after your name, all that scientific training, practicing medicine for all those years, you're going to stand there with all that scientific technical background and actually tell me Genesis is real history? That's exactly what I'm going to tell you. Genesis 1 to 11 is the true history of the world. But you know what you should do with my opinion or Ken Ham's opinion or Dr. Georgia Purdom's opinion, Dr. Andrew Snelling's opinion, Dr. Jason Lyle's opinion? You know what you should do with all those opinions? Just throw them out. Because why should you care what we think? But, you know, I really believe there are people in history who've earned the right to be heard. You know who said Genesis was history? Paul did. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Is that a true statement? You bet it is. My home church, we call that good preaching. Can somebody relate this verse to the book of Genesis for me? That one man was who? Read about Adam where? So Paul, under the inspiration of God, said there was a one man who sinned to bring death. You read about that one man in Genesis. So if Genesis isn't real history, Romans 5, 12 is a what? It's a lie. And I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to suggest to you that a proper understanding of the cross requires you to properly understand this verse. Oh, Tommy, you people have answers in Genesis. You're so rigid. You're so fundamental. You say that people that don't believe exactly like you do, they can't even be Christians. They can't even be saved. And folks, there is a reason to believe that. Because Romans 10, 9 clearly says this. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, and believe in a young earth in six literal days, you'll be saved. That's from the new, new revised standard version. Is that what it says? Of course not. Faith in Christ alone is what saves. It's never been our position this is a salvation issue. Although it seems like every week we got to, you know, defend ourselves against that one more. Folks, I was saved when I was 17. For the next 15 years of my life, I was a theistic evolutionist. The, the, the church that I attended at the time believed in evolution in the millions of years. The pastor taught me theistic evolution. My spiritual mentors when I was just a baby Christian, that's what I was taught. It wasn't until after I got out of medical school and got into serious Bible study, I came to understand that theistic evolution is a very inconsistent, you know, theology. It doesn't mesh with what God's Word said. But at that time, that's what I believed. You know something? I'm no more saved today than I was when I was 17. 
I'd like to think my understanding of Scripture is more mature. I have a more sound, logical defense of the faith. But I'm no more saved than I was in. This is not a salvation issue. It's an issue of biblical authority. However, as I said before, this is an issue where the church no longer has understanding of the times. So many in the church say, well, nobody cares about Genesis. It's just dry, dusty history. You can believe anything you want to about Genesis. It's just a side issue. It doesn't matter. It's not important. You know who recognizes this as an important issue? The world does, and the church doesn't get it. What comes clear now, the whole justification of Jesus' life and death is predicated on the existence of Adam and the forbidden fruit he and Eve ate. Without the original sin, who needs to be redeemed? Without Adam's fall into a life of constant sin, terminated by death, what purpose is there to Christianity? None. This was written by an atheist named Richard Bozarth. He points out the following. says, church, you don't get it. Church, you're inconsistent. Church, you preach your Christ crucified and resurrected. And yet, church, I read that Romans 5, 12 verse. He says, church, let me show you something else I found in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Church, you preach your Christ crucified and resurrected. But church, you believe in evolution in the millions of years. Church, you're inconsistent. You know what that charge against the church is, by the way? It's absolutely correct. Richard Bozarth points out the following. He says, church, if you don't believe the days in Genesis are ordinary days, you must believe in the millions of years. He says, church, if you believe in the millions of years, you must believe in evolution. He says, church, if you believe in evolution, you must believe that man evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years. He says, church, if, Adam and Eve, uh, if, man evolved from Adam, if man evolved from apes over the last three to five million years, you know what Adam and Eve are? They're a myth. He says, church, if Adam and Eve are a myth, there's no original sin. It says, church, if there's no original sin, why did your Jesus go to the cross? And let me say this one more time before anybody misunderstands. This is not a salvation issue. I'm not even remotely suggesting that it is. But what I'm saying to you directly is this. If the days in Genesis are not ordinary days, I challenge you to bring me the New Testament and tell me why Jesus went to the cross. It's amazing how clearly the world sees this theologic inconsistency, but the church doesn't get it. Why? The church no longer has understanding of the times. And I'm now going to show you the thing more than any other causes people to doubt the Word of God. I've been doing creation ministry for close to 35 years now. It is, I've thought about this and thought about this, but this is true. The thing that more than any other causes people to doubt the Word of God rocks. Yeah, I don't get it either. I mean, I'm a life sciences guy. I like things that are squishy and you can dissect them and stuff like that. When I say something's dull as a box of rocks, that's dull. Because you know what rocks do? Nothing. If we put a rock right here and we watched it for an hour, you know what it would do? Nothing. If I left it there and came back in five years, you know what that rock would do in the meantime? Absolutely nothing. You know what causes people to doubt the Word of God? rocks you know why those rocks are obviously millions of years old anybody here been to the grand canyon i've been on four rafting trips down the grand canyon and i'm just going to tell you that's the deepest hole a boy from tennessee ought to ever find himself in we don't have holes that deep in tennessee we just don't but you go down to the grand canyon with these geologists and say tommy those rocks are obviously millions of years old we've done tests on some of those rocks we can prove those rocks are obviously millions of years old tommy your bible's not true let me ask you a question. What's obvious about those rocks? They're rocks. Like I said, these are easy questions. Don't overthink it. What's obvious about those rocks? They're rocks. What does an old rock look like? A rock. What does a young rock look like? A rock. What's the difference between an old rock and a young rock? They're rocks. But what the world says is these rock layers were laid down by slow processes over hundreds of millions of years. They are, in effect, the physical geologic proof that the earth is millions of years old. And most Christians, including me at one time, accept that. And Christian, if you accept that the rock record is the physical geologic proof of millions of years of earth history, you got a huge problem. You know what your problem is called? It's called fossils. Because what do you find in many of those layers? You find fossils. Now, fossils are the remains of what? 
dead things. To become a fossil, first thing you got to be is dead. The rest of it ain't too hard. I mean, you get dead, you get covered up, you become a fossil. So if the rock record's the physical geologic proof of hundreds of millions of years of Earth history, then the fossil record would be the physical geologic record of what? Millions of years of death. Oh, Adam, is such a perfect world. Yes, Eve, it's very good, just like God said. Is that what God's Word tells us? Yeah. Is this what God's Word means? You know, after those six days, you know, God said day, but he meant millions of years. After those six days, he looked on everything he'd created and said it was very good including all those rocks and all those fossils. You know what you find in the fossil record? You find evidence of animals that have ripped each other up, animals have eaten each other, bone disease, arthritis. We find fossil evidence of brain tumors. You're going to tell me the creator God of the universe called brain tumors very good? And that's not even your biggest problem. Let's just say the millions of years are true and evolution's true and we did evolve from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years. And at some point along this evolutionary journey, we became human enough that God now deemed us to be in his image. So here we go. The millions of years are true. Envision this scenario. God turns to Adam and says, Adam, don't do that or you're going to die. If the millions of years are true, what would Adam's logical response be? So what? I'm going to die anyway. If death were already here, how could death be the punishment for man's disobedience? How could Christ's death on the cross be the atonement for our sin? You've got a huge theologic disconnect. How come the world sees it and the church doesn't? Because the church no longer has understanding of the times. Folks, if you believe in the millions of years, there's one thing you have to recognize. If the millions of years are true, you know what's always been here? Death. For evolution to work, death must be present. Evolution has been called the religion of death. What's the process that makes evolution go? Survival of the fittest. It's an easy concept to wrap your mind around. Strong creatures survive, weak creatures fall by the wayside. For example, in Africa, who lives longer? Fast gazelles or slow ones? Fast. Slow ones become lunch. See, this is not hard. If the millions of years are true, death has always been here. God's word's clear. He created a perfect creation where there was no death. Man's disobedience brought death. You've got a theologic disconnect. And you know who sees this? Our young people do. This is the real tragedy of this whole issue in this day and age. The church and the vast majority of people in the church do say this. Genesis is a side issue. It doesn't matter. The church no longer has understanding of the times because they don't understand these are precisely the questions that are robbing the church of our young people. They're causing the young people to walk away because you know who sees this whole debate? The young people do. Barna's group has done lots of surveys over the years, but some years ago they did a survey, and what they found out is that young people growing up in Christian homes, when they reach independence or they're, you know, they're out from under mom and dad's care, 70% of those young people don't go to church. About a year after Barna's first survey, Lifeway did a study, it's up to 80%. I've talked to pastors all over the country. They tell me, Tommy, our young people are walking away in record numbers. What's the problem? Well, a few years ago we published this book. It's called Already Gone. And along with Britt Beamer and America's research group, we surveyed 1,000 young people ages 20 to 29 who don't go to church anymore, but who did when they were young. And there were two issues, two questions we wanted the answer to. When did you decide to walk away, and what was the reason you decided to walk away? If you'd asked us 10 years ago, you know, Tommy, when did our young people walk away from church? We would have said high school and college, when their faith is being formally and intellectually challenged. Well... High school is still an important time. The thing that shocked us was this. How about elementary and middle school? In our survey group, by the end of middle school, 43% of those who walked away had pretty much already decided they were going to. Think of that. At that early age, you know, the church has nothing to do with the real world. It's not important. The Bible's book of myths, fables, fairy tales, and I'm not going to uh, participate in, in this activity when I don't have to. Now, at that age, you know, they're still coming because, you know, mom and daddy are dragging them. But statistically speaking, go to any church in America, line up all the young people down front, 80% of those young people are already gone. And, folks, if that doesn't surprise you, it should. I mean, that's horrific. I mean, our young people are walking away in record numbers. What's the number one reason our young people walk away? And when you hear this, you go, okay, that kind of makes sense. But this is what the statistics tell us. The number one reason our young people walk away? Nobody answered my questions. This is Michelle who says, I have three teenage boys.
Well, you can just imagine how excited we were about that particular answer. If you don't teach your kids reveal science, you're going to lose your kids. Now, when he says reveal science, you know what he means? He means evolution in the millions of years. And you know what evolution is? It's a way to explain how we got here without God. When I was a theistic evolutionist, you know, God created, used evolution. You know what the actual useless piece of that worldview was? God. Because if evolution is true, everything created itself. And he's not alone in saying we're going to teach our kids, you know, reveal science because the big emphasis in the church in this day and age is rushing headlong to take evolution and weaving it into our understanding of God's Word. The vast majority of seminaries, churches, Christian academics, pastors basically buy into this idea we've got to take man's view of origins and use it to help us reinterpret what God's Word tells us. Because after all, we've got to teach our kids that dinosaurs existed before the time of the Bible, which is a very curious statement. It's like I've said before, I've got this history book and this history book comes to me from the perfect historian, the one who's always been there who wouldn't tell me a lie in certain cases, was the only one there when certain events occurred. This history book starts at a really amazing place. You know where it starts? In the beginning. What existed before the time of the Bible? Nothing. Well, God was there, but in the sense of anything created, nothing. So the dinosaurs that hadn't been created yet were hanging out in a space that also hadn't been created. Think of that. That's what we're supposed to teach our kids? I mean, think it through, folks. It doesn't work. There's a word that we at Answers in Genesis strongly encourage people not to use. You know what that word is? Prehistoric. My history book starts in the beginning. But if you don't teach your kids reveal science, you're going to lose your kids. And that's the predominant idea in the church in this day and age. Like I said, the church no longer has understanding of the times. Because you know who says weaving evolution and Christianity together is wrong? The evolutionists do. This is Richard Dawkins, who I think can fairly be characterized as the world's leading spokesperson for evolution. He says these sophisticated theologians that try to put evolution and Christianity together, he says they're deluded. Now, that's his term. I really wish he'd used a different term because I would never take such a harsh term and apply it to Pat Robertson. I would say mistaken, misguided. But nonetheless, you've got the vast majority of our Christian leaders and Christian academics in this day and age saying we've got to somehow manage to make peace between these two worldviews. We've got to put them together. And you've got the leading evolutionists in the world saying they don't even go together. There's a disconnect. The church no longer has understanding of the times. Now, I'm going to show you what happens when you teach a young person Reveal science. Yeah, by the way, I became an atheist. I was born into a Christian family and indoctrinated as a, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school, and I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. So as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So I became an atheist. What happened to this young man? He got taught revealed science. You know what he then did? He came to a logical conclusion. I don't need God. I'm now an atheist. Because you know what evolution is? It's a way to explain how we got here without God. So if you've got a worldview that doesn't require God, if everything just created itself, what do you need God for? You see, there's a disconnect. When I was a theistic evolutionist, that's one of the most inconsistent worldviews you can have. I mean, yeah, that's all I was taught. But when I got the serious Bible, so I said, these two things don't go together. This young man was taught revealed science. He came to a logical conclusion. He walked away. I don't need God. Do you know what he said? I was raised in a Christian home and I was indoctrinated. Did you hear me use that word? First couple of times I watched this clip, that kind of bothered me. But the more I thought about it, I, got, I said, well, you know, I, 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 that's exactly what happened. I can just see the following scenario in his home. Bible says it, just believe it. 
Bible says it, just believe it. Bible says it, just believe it. And folks, if the Bible says it, I believe it. Don't get me wrong. But when you say the Bible says it, just believe it to a 14-year-old, they've got the most annoying question. Why? The Bible says it, just believe it. That's indoctrination. You know what apologetics is? When you answer the why. Why is a great question. God gave us a mind. We're rational creatures. We're supposed to ask why. We're supposed to try to understand the world around us. That's not denying your faith. The Bible says it, just believe it. That's not an answer. Certainly there are things in this world that, you know, that, that we don't have enough information about. There are certain questions I can't I get that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We don't have every answer. But Scripture all, also says, be ready always to give an answer. Why is a great question? You know what the world's good at doing? Answering the whys. The world is good at teaching apologetics. By that, I mean they're good at giving young people answers to support their worldview. Now, we would give different answers to those questions, obviously, because our starting point's different. But the thing is, the church does a lousy job of, of teaching apologetics because they don't think this is an important issue, and they're not watching our young people walk away by the truckload. There's a disconnect. Think of this. In the church, and I say again, church, I mean church in the global sense, by and large, when young people come to church, what are they taught? They're taught Bible stories. Jesus fed the 5,000, Paul's missionary journeys. They're taught Bible stories. Is that Noah's Ark? You got a 50-50 chance. Is that Noah's Ark? Actually, it is. The reason I know that, the giraffes are sticking out the top. If the giraffes are not sticking out the top, it is not Noah's Ark. That is the absolute, you know, stake in the ground, ID factor for the Ark. If the giraffes aren't sticking out the top, it can't be Noah's Ark. And the reason I know that is the vast majority of churches I speak in, you know, when I go and set up to do the conference and I'm walking around, this is what I see. And I'm talking about churches that invite us in, that say, we want to stand on the authority of the Word of God. We want you to come in and help equip our people to have answers. This is what I see, the overstuffed houseboat with the giraffe sticking out the top and the monkey on the porthole and the guy with the long white beard and the butterfly net. Oh, isn't it cute? Well, guess what, folks? I don't know how many times I've read through the Word of God. I have yet to run across anything remotely like that. So think about this. We get little Johnny one morning a week. If it's a very dedicated family, we get him every other Wednesday night for no soccer practice. So he comes in, we whip some juice and cookies on him, say, okay, little Johnny, today we're going to give you some Bible knowledge. We're going to teach you about the Word of God. Oh, let's say about Noah's Ark. Oh, the overstuffed houseboat with draft sticks out the top and the monkey on the porthole and the guy with the long white beard and the butterfly net. Oh, isn't it cool? Thank you. And thank you, Miss Sunday School teacher. I am so wonderful. Is this wonderful? I'm so happy you've equipped me with, uh, with information from God's Word. You've given me wonderful Bible teaching. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week. Where's little Johnny go the rest of the week? Out into the world. Where does he get attacked? everywhere. Hey, little Johnny, there's no way you can get all those animals on the ark. And you know, that question seems to be a particular favorite of astrophysicists. Because I've spoken at lots of colleges and universities over the years, and astrophysicists particularly seem fascinated by this because they're the ones that really, you know, sort of approach me with this question more than any other group. Well, Tommy, you're, you can't even be, consider yourself remotely scientific. You believe in this whole fable about Noah's Ark. Tommy, can't you count? There are millions of species of animals in the world. There's no way you can get millions of animals on Noah's Ark. Now, what's our response to that, by the way? We agree. What do you mean you agree? It means we agree. Ruined that man's whole day. There's nothing upsets an evolutionist more than when you agree with him. You don't need millions of animals. You need two of each kind seven of some. I mean, there weren't 462 varieties of dogs on the ark. How many dogs were on the ark? Two. How many turtles were on the ark? Two. How many cats were on the ark? Too many. <laughs> but nonetheless, you don't need all the different, you need two of each kind. So what we found in our research, you know, for our Ark Encounter project is you only need maybe 5,000, 6,000 animals. Problem is, Johnny can get about 16 animals on that boat before it sinks. He can't even remotely come close to what he needs. The rock layers were laid down over millions of years. Hey, a global flood would be impossible. Hey, look, Johnny, Noah's flood's a myth. Where'd all that water come from? Your Bible's not true. Well, then Johnny gets back to church the next week, and he's, he's had a tough week. There is no doubt about it. So we whipped the juice and cookies on him and said, okay, Dad, we're going to give you our Bible lesson. Oh, okay, Miss Sunday School teacher, uh, before we start today's lesson, I, 
About 37 things came up last week. I'm kind of struggling. I'm, I'm struggling with some of this stuff. I wonder if you could maybe help me out. I don't, I, I don't know how to do it. I, I got to need some answers, and we don't answer his questions. You know what we do? We tell him another story. It's time about the big fish. <laughs> then you know what we tell him? Just trust in Jesus. You know what's going to happen? Little Johnny's going to get older. He's going to realize nobody ever answered any of my questions. I'm out of here. Is that happening in our churches? Every single day. What's the problem? The church no longer has understanding of the times. And as I've said many times, I am not in any way absolving the parents of their responsibility. Don't get me wrong. But where do most parents get their information on these topics? In the church. You see, there's a disconnect. You see, we at Answers in Genesis came up with this really radical idea a couple of years ago. We got to thinking about, you know, building an ark so we could answer people's questions. But you know where we got our information? From God's Word. How about 510 feet long, 86 feet wide, 54 feet high? Any giraffes sticking out the top of that? As much as I voted to put two giraffes' heads on the top of that thing, it didn't happen. You get off the bus, you turn around, you see the ark, and you go, okay, I got my first five questions answered, and I haven't even walked towards it because it's ginormous. Guess what? When you start with God's Word, these are not hard issues, which is why we built the Ark Encounter, which is why we do what we do at the, at the Creation Museum to equip people to have answers. But let's look at the other side of the coin. Where does little Johnny go to learn real things? You know, real chemistry, real anthropology, real biology. Where does he go to learn real things? School. 89% of children in churches around the country go to public school. If you homeschool, Christian school, or private school and think you're safe, you are so mistaken. You should see some of the curriculum that's out there and some of the curriculum is coming. But little Johnny can go learn real things, real science like this. Fourteen and a half billion years ago, nothing exploded. <laughs> I don't care who you are, folks. That's deep, okay? First there was nothing, then it exploded. Now, what's going to happen about 9.15 tonight, you're going to go, wow, I got it. I finally figured it out. First, there's nothing. Then it exploded. And those people say, we have faith. <laughs> but that's core to the materialist worldview. Every, you know, matter is all that matters. Interaction with matter against matter. That's how everything got here. It has to have a beginning. So in the beginning, nothing exploded. People who are materialists, who are evolutionists, say, you know, they, they would say, you know, we're the, we're the real keepers of knowledge. We're the true scientists. We understand how the world operates, and we understand the laws of matter and physics and quantum mechanics. And all this. You know what the first law of thermodynamics says? Matter and energy can neither be created nor destroyed. It only be changed one form to the other. Simply put, you can't get something from nothing. Except in the beginning. The biology books are clear. Life only comes from life. Life doesn't come from non-life. Except in the beginning. You see, the secularists have to violate their own worldview to make their worldview work. And if you believe first there was nothing, then it exploded, you come to some really interesting conclusions. The, um, this is something that, that, that I wrote a book about. Someone asked me yesterday why I wrote that book. Because it is the most poetic thing I know about the universe. Um, but the amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from the star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You're all stars. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements of carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in nuclear furnaces of stars, and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Okay? The stars died so you could be here. Just forget Jesus. The stars died for you. Because after all, the atoms in one hand came from a different star than the atoms in the other. That's taught as science. This is Dr. Lawrence Krauss. He has a Ph.D. in physics. And he's a, he's a true scientist. You know, scientists aren't biased, right? I mean, they just seek truth, justice in the American way. I mean, that's what scientists do, right? So, you know, wherever the evidence leads him, that's just, I mean, he's a true scientist. He has no biases, as I'll demonstrate. He said this, change is always one generation away. So if we can plant the seeds of doubt in our children, religion will go away in a generation, or at least largely go away. I think that's what we have an obligation to do. When he says religion, you know what he means? He means Christianity. 
And the thing is, the comment he made about Jesus, as offensive as it is to me, is not the part of that clip that bothers me. You know what bothers me? The applause at the end. He's going all around the world just to tell people, you're just stardust. Isn't that wonderful? Of course, can he defend his worldview? No, but it's a worldview he has to hold because he has to have somebody to explain how we got here without God. The sad part is the vast majority of churches are hanging on to that same worldview, not knowing the damage that it's doing. You know, as it turns out, I have absolutely no problem understanding where matter came from. I don't. I have a personal relationship with the only one who can create from nothing. Or little Johnny learned more real science. You know, the, this is more what I like. This is life science and stuff. Has anybody in this room never seen some illustration like this at some point? I mean, you know, we evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five years. I talked to a family a couple of years ago who said that on the kid, their, their child's first day of kindergarten, the child came home and said, oh, boy, this is great. You know, Mommy, did you know that Nana and Papa are monkeys? <laughs> first day of kindergarten. Now, what this is trying to tell us is that, you know, like I said, we evolved from ape-like creatures over the last three to five million years. You know, we were sort of knuckle-dragging and semi-upright, then my mother-in-law, then fully human. <laughs> and that's how we got here. How much fossil evidence is there to support this? None. What does none mean? Zero. What does zero mean? Absence of something. If you take the fossils and just sort them, what you find is things are fully ape or fully human. There are no missing links. There are no intermediates. When I was young, Cro-Magnon man was considered a missing link. Well, it turned out that was human. Then Neanderthal, they were just as sure as they could be. Neanderthal's a missing link. Turned out that was human. Well, you think they'd be out of bullets, right? Well, there's one fossil they're hanging on to for dear life. You know what I'm talking about? Lucy, this is Grandma. This is our earliest ancestor. And they know Lucy looked like that. You know how they know that? Because they found that. <laughs> they made that because they found that. And folks, if that's true because of that, you know what else is true? That's true. And ladies, if that's true, then this has to be true, right? <laughs> Isn't it funny now for decades we've taught our kids that they're just animals? You're just the product of evolution. You're just the product of evolution. You're just the product of evolution. We've taught our kids for decades they're just animals, and now we complain that they act like animals. It's a disconnect. We're not animals. We're made in the image of the living God. And what I have found over the years is one of the most inconsistent groups that I deal with are Christians. Because Christians pick and choose what so-called science they're willing to accept. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think it's safe, and again, I know about assuming, I think it's safe to assume that many people, if not hopefully the majority of, hopefully even all people in this room, believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. Is that a reasonable assumption? Now, for those in this room who believe that silly nonsense, why do you believe it? Because you are not there to see it. It's not been, there's no rerun, there's no on the Discovery Channel. Why do you believe that somebody bodily rose from the dead? Oh, it's in here. Okay, because there's an account in here of Jesus bodily rising from the dead. Guess what? You're absolutely correct. By the way, your eternal destiny hinges on the correct answer to that question. But by telling me you accept that, you have just demonstrated to me that you are absolutely not scientific. This is why I know that. I'm a professional physician. I have studied dead. First day of medical school, you know what they tell you? Dead is dead. Your job, keep them from getting dead. But once you get dead, you're dead. And you just told me that once you're dead, you're not necessarily dead. Praise God, you're right, but it shows you're not scientific. Anybody in this room believe Jesus was born of a virgin? Now, why do you believe that nonsense? Okay, another one that's in here stuff. Okay, it's probably... It's, it's, it's right there. Okay. So you believe it because it's in the Bible. Would you like to meet my wife, who I met in medical school, by the way? She is an obstetrician. She will tell you that in humans, virgins don't give birth. But it did happen. The account's here, and you accept that, but by saying you accept it, you're not scientific. Anybody here believe Jonah was swallowed by a great fish? Why do you believe that nonsense? Because it's in here. See, we believe those things. They're in here because we accept what God's Word tells us. But by saying that, you show me you're not scientific. But at the same time, you ask Richard Dawkins, does somebody rise from the dead? He says, that's nonsense. That's a fairy tale. 
So the, the, the scientists say those things don't happen, but we say, we don't care what you say, we're going to hang on to this part. But we listen to Richard Dawkins when he's talking about Genesis. We listen to Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris when they're talking about Genesis. We pick and choose the parts of so-called science we want to accept. Folks, this book is either all true or none of it's true. Now, certainly there's different types of narrative in Scripture. There's apocryphal language. There's poetic language. There's, you know, allegory. You know, Jesus spoke in parables. But when he did that, he didn't explain what he meant. There's also something called historical narrative. So the thing is, either God's Word is true or it's not. If we get to pick and choose which parts we like, how do you know John 3.16 is true? You've got a fundamental disconnect. And this is why this is one of the linchpin issues in the church in this day and age. The church does not recognize the entirely incompatible worldview that our young people are being indoctrinated with every single day. And this is not an option. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. That's why we do what we do at Answers in Genesis is we want to equip people to have answers so they can stand boldly and unashamedly on the authority of the Word of God. Go to our website, www.answersingenesis.org. It's the largest creation apologetics website in the world. It's over 10,000 articles on this website. Just go to the search engine and type in, you know, Charles Darwin or Noah's Ark or Carbon-14. We're going to give you tons of answers. Our uh, flagship publication is called, fittingly enough, Answers Magazine. There's no other magazine in the world like Answers Magazine. It is not a magazine about creation evolution, although we do deal with those issues because those are questions of the age. This is a magazine about biblical worldview, how to understand what we as Christians believe, how to better defend your faith in an ever-skeptical, ever-hostile society. Each issue has a pull-out children's section in it because we want to help you equip the youngest among us to defend their faith from the earliest age. And here during this conference, as a conference special, for every year you subscribe, we'll give you a free DVD. You subscribe for one year, we'll give you one DVD. You subscribe for three years, we'll give you three DVDs. It is not often people will openly bribe you to subscribe to their magazine. That's exactly what we're going to do, folks. I promise it'll be a blessing to you. Our Answers Book Series, Answers Books 1, 2, 3, and 4, and these four volumes, over 120 of the most asked questions about creation and evolution with sound biblical scientific answers. Folks, if you take a stand for Jesus Christ in this culture, you're going to get lots of these questions. I got them almost every day when I was in my active medical practice over the years. Scripture says you need to be ready with an answer. The book, The Lie, this is the 25th anniversary edition of this book. We tell people this is sort of the textbook of our ministry. 25 years ago, uh, when I was really struggling with this, I, I read the first edition of this book. I've got three signed first editions in my personal library at home. It was transformational for my wife, and I, it really helped bring together a lot of these issues and help us really focus on the inconsistencies of the theistic evolutionary worldview that we'd accepted over the years. It's a great, great book. Our Answers Book Series for Teens. Our Answers Book Set for Kids. These are for ages 4 to 10. Parents and grandparents, be honest now. Isn't it funny how sometimes the littlest kids ask the toughest theologic questions? I'm going to tell you this. I hate these books. My daughters are all grown. Where was Ken Ham when I needed him? My wife and I tap dance around some really sticky questions when my girls were little. We don't want you tap dancing around these issues. One or two paragraphs sound biblical answers to the really sticky questions our little kids ask. We've even got sets for littler kids, big thoughts for little thinkers. It's never too early to start equipping our kids and helping them understand and be able to articulate a defense of their faith. The book Six Days, about the, uh, the six days and the millions of years, books on biblical apologetics, already gone, I mentioned. Resources for kids, particularly involving dinosaurs. My series on anatomy and physiology. I'm in the process of writing a six-volume series on anatomy and physiology for junior high and high school. We're going to show our young people just how incredible, just how amazing the human body is. And all along the way, we're going to debunk a lot of the evolutionary teaching that they hear on the Discovery Channel and Animal Planet in their, in their textbooks at school. But first and foremost, we're going to give praise to our Creator. Uh, DVDs and lots of different subjects. Probably the most common question we get at our ministry these days is, hey, Christian, if your God's a God of love, why is there so much death and suffering in the world? In my DVD, A God of Suffering, we answer that question. You're going to be shocked and amazed with that answer starts in Genesis. Last thing I'll mention is the foundation, Foundations Curriculum Kit. It's a six-volume, it's a six-DVD set by Ken Ham broken into 12 lectures. It's got a teacher's guide and a student guide. It can be used for individual study, Sunday school classes, discipleship classes, homeschool, you know, group study, lots of different ways and venues this has been used in. But it's a way to have a complete creation apologetics uh, seminar in your own home, and we're going to teach you 
step by step through the whole seminar. And here at the conference, we have what we call our You Choose special. The more things you buy, the bigger discount we'll, get, we'll give you. We want you to be able to build your own creation apologetics library in your own home. But having said that, we want you to be able to pick out the resources that are most interest to you. So again, the, the, the more things you buy, the bigger discount we'll give you as a volume. Destroy my confidence in the Bible as an historical record. You destroy my confidence in it altogether. For by far, the largest part of the Bible is historical record. You must believe the whole of Holy Scripture, or with the narrow-minded infidel, you must disbelieve the whole. There is no middle course open to you. He who surrenders the first page of his Bible surrenders all. And with that, we'll conclude. I'll turn it back over to the boss.